is Bridget Photo. I'm a registered nutritional therapist and I own the company Fit Nutrition Canada. So I specialize in psychology of eating. My own personal mission is to prevent disordered eating in as many groups of people as possible, but specifically I work within the fitness industry. I work with a lot of coaches and trainers and fitness enthusiasts. So that's my crew. So how, what, so how long have you been working like really specifically with uh, more like fitness professionals? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I've been working in the fitness industry since I was 20, so it's been 13 years now. And, um, you know, I was a personal trainer and I was an athlete before that. And it's just, it just feels like home, you know, working with, with trainers, being in the gym, being in facilities like that. And um, I started Fit Nutrition Canada four years ago. I did start working primarily with weight loss clients in general, because that's what I was known for as a, as a trainer for so long. And slowly over the past four years, I've just found more and more trainers coming to me for advice because of my specialty in the psychology of eating. Awesome. So what really, what kind of drew you to counseling to start off with? Yeah, yeah, that's a great, it's a great question. Um, I think ultimately, as I love to hear people's stories, I think if there's one fundamental underlying thing that makes a counselor or a therapist, it's that you just have that unconditional positive regard and you just listen, you just want to hear people's stories, you want to hear about what their experiences are, and you really empathize and, and are able to put yourself in their shoes and, and, and believe what they're saying and just you're in it, you're in it. And I found myself doing that naturally when I was a trainer, I'd be out on the floor and just having these deep conversations and just listening, listening. And I really understood each one of my clients and where they were coming from. So now I'm able to do that one-on-one -on -one and I'm also able to talk to coaches about how they can um, fine tune those active listening skills and things like that. And um, Sometimes it means reading between the lines as well. Sometimes you have to listen for things that are not being said on the floor as well, right? So, And I kind of found some of the same. Of course, when I first got into being a strength coach, it was just about just making the most badass human beings you could possibly make. Yeah. But then it just turns into hearing some people's stories, knowing kind of what's fueling them. And you kind of really dig in unknowingly. And But of course, at the time, I've been doing this for 23 years now, but to kind of think back then, like zero skill set when it came to somebody saying some pretty deep, sometimes painful things to, to somebody, right? Yeah, and ultimately, you know, when we're working towards health optimization, and I, I, I often think of, of uh, coaching on a sliding scale, right? Like seek pleasure, avoid pain. You really tap into some, some sore spots and especially just the time invested, right? Like as a coach and a trainer, we can only take on so many there's only so many hours in a day. Yeah. And so those people, when, when they're signing up with us and they're investing in us, uh, you know, a year out of their life and you're, you're seeing them on the floor three times a week or more, and then you're talking to them between sessions, you really, you really become intertwined in their life. Right. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's, that's what drew me to counseling and it's what still just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So when it comes to like disordered eating, what really, what really drew you to that, to even like, I guess more so where drew you to disordered eating when it came to like fitness professionals? It was a, um, it was a pain spot because, um, I, I find, and I, I, I 
recommend this for anyone in general. If you get heated up about something, if you're passionate about something, you got to follow that, right? You got to find your sources of like, why is this irritating me, right? And, and do some digging there. And what I found was that as a as a trainer and a lot of my old my old uh, um, uh, colleagues will attest to this, I would get heated up over things like body image and socialization and uh, gender stereotypes and just stereotypes of, of trainers that were supposed to look a certain way and be a certain way. And um, I was oftentimes peed off when also two clients would come in expecting that, uh, you know, oh, they're going to get a meal plan and they're going to have this body in six weeks and things like that. It's like, why, why, why do you think that, you know, it took me 10 years of working my ass off in the gym to even get this physique that I had then. And that came with a lot of sacrifice. And I found that there was a lot of transparency in the fitness industry. And um, quite frankly, sometimes we can easily uh, profit off of people's insecurities. It's a very easy thing to do in the fitness industry. And I think that there needs to be a lot of integrity and a lot of open discussions about that. A lot of transparency. Yeah, and that kind of, kind of leads me to uh, next question, I guess, is how do you feel like the fitness industry might be contributing, especially now, maybe contributing to more disordered eating? Yes. Yeah, so, so there's, there's, I have, you know, two, two things that jump into my mind. One is to investigate ourselves as trainers and coaches and say, do I have signs of disordered eating right now? And those signs, if, if you're not aware, I'll run through them quickly. So, so one is, um, you know, frequent dieting. Uh, this would be anxiety around foods, certain food groups or specific foods in general. Another one would be fluctuations in weight. And when I, when I say this, um, you know, oftentimes people think of like yo-yo dieting, up, down, up, down. That can be if you're looking at the frequency, but you also want to look at the intensity. If your body shape or weight changes drastically, you're, you're dropping, 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 you stay there and then boom, it goes back up. Plus some, that's also a sign. Another one is rituals around food. And this one I think a lot of people are going to to notice, you know, things like uh, I can't miss I can't miss my meal prep day, um, pre and post workout, you know, rules, lots of rules around food, um, weighing, measuring, things like that. Guilt and shame around eating, right? Mm -hmm. So if you break one of your food rules, all of a sudden you're you're dealing with a lot of guilt or shame. Preoccupation, so preoccupation with your weight, shape, food, or body image. This is a big one again in the fitness industry as well. Um, we we spend a lot of our there's a lot of um, uh, clutter in our mind around it. We talk about it frequently. It's part of our lifestyle that we talk about this frequently, and uh, also feeling a loss of control around food. So that's if you are over restricting. Sometimes you know if you're in the kitchen late at night and you're like, oh, I'll just have a little bit, a little bit more, a little bit more, and then you feel that sense of loss of control. And then the last one being, um, you know, a use of exercise or food restriction to make up for breaking a food rule. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of perception involved in there and there's a lot of uh, action that's in there as well when we look at signs of disordered eating. Now, ultimately it comes down to how is this impacting my functionality? And in the fitness industry often a lot of those things are celebrated so it can be difficult to determine how it's impairing your your day-to-day -day life, right? Is this starting to impact my social life? Is this starting to impact my interpersonal relationships? Is it a, is it impacting my mood? If I break one of my food rules, do I do I get moody and am I irritated for the rest of the day and take it out on people or things like that? So 
when we look at those signs, a lot of them overlap with what we do almost every day in the fitness industry, which is scary. No, for sure. And kind of what I touched on when we, when I first kind of reached out was my, my own closet eating, which was, mm-hmm. um, it wasn't until I really admitted that there was a problem, um, until I really seen how big the problem really was, you know, it's just op- kind of op- bring kind of peel back that veil to really show the kind of issue that was like, it is four minutes from door to door from like Tim Hortons to the gym I was working at. Mm-hmm. And I can intake 20 Timbits in that four minutes. Um, and it's no problem. But of course, the kind of some people might not understand the kind of pressure that comes along with uh, many you know, coaches and fitness trainers in the fitness industry to quote unquote need to look a certain way. Well, I, um, I'm pretty much a dinosaur when it comes to <laughs> this, uh, this industry. Uh, been doing it as long as many people kind of been alive when it's uh, so obviously that pressure kind of like started to really eat away at me literally and I was eating that pressure but behind closed door because it was such a no-no to consume those foods. Exactly. That's a, that's, a, that's a perfect example and when we talk about body image and body image standards it's uh you know it's 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 a little complex but in general um, you know, the, if you pop an idea in your head, if I say like, what's the ideal image of a trainer, you know, most people are going to have this like chiseled physique and things like that. It's like, okay, now how much of our time do we as trainers actually spend there or professional athletes? And then, and then that's the other thing too, is that we, we, um, you know, athletes, we want to focus on their performance right? Not the aesthetics. And that's a common misconception in society as well. So we're consistently focusing as a society, not just on an individual level, but as a society, we're focused a lot on the appearance ideal, which, you know, those are, you know, body image standards rather than the health ideal, which is, am I doing things healthy most of the time? And then you're going to have the body that comes after when you're, when you're doing that. Right. So, um, so, so that's a big part of it. And then the other part with the fitness industry contributing to disordered eating is when, um, and sometimes this happens, and I do believe everybody has the best intentions, but sometimes we hear and see trainers or coaches perpetuating um, almost a dichotomy around eating and food mm-hmm. or, or fitness. It has to be done this way, and this is how you do it and cut out these foods. And, and you hear a lot of that because that might be what they're doing and what they know. Right. So I, I believe everybody has, you know, good intentions. I think it just needs a little bit more education, a little bit more open discussion about it. Yeah. And I think so many times we get people who are given competent programs by good, especially when it comes to like the figure slash bodybuilding world. Uh, many people have, there's some really, really amazing. I personally know some amazing coaches. Um, and many times some of these athletes are getting this program for them from coach a and then starting their whole business that that athlete opens up with that coach or that trainer's programming for them. And there's zero knowledge behind there. So they're opening up a big can of worms and making a lot of people, cause maybe they have a pretty big following, but they're using this program that was really tailored for them and they don't know anything else. So it's almost like this really terrible rabbit hole of the, all these clients not really losing, or maybe it's just a really terrible process for them because it's coming from someone with zero experience with an experienced program. Yeah, yeah. never, ever, ever share a meal plan. Right. <laughs> just, like, ever. just leave clients out there. If you've received a meal plan from a coach, you're not going to share it. 
No, and that's, I think it's, uh, and for some, sometimes it even comes on like on the client's perspective, like you pay really, I understand, I know how much people pay for my services and other coaches. If you're willing just to share that, like, I think that's, that's kind of crazy, but that's on the individual, you know? So, and something I didn't have to worry about when I first started was uh, social media. <laughs> right. So it wasn't even a, the internet was barely a thing, but um, when it comes to the way it is now, when so all the, the, the human highlight reels of everyone in the perfect poses and the perfect, we just kind of, we joked about ring lights earlier, but uh, right. so the perfect poses, the perfect lighting, all this stuff to show the, right, exactly. So how do you think that combining like the fitness industry with social media, how that's kind of contributed to many, maybe more discovered disorder eating? We know for a, we know now through research that um, increased social media usage time will decrease the overall levels of body satisfaction, right? We, we, we see this trend and it's happening across all demographics. Uh, you know, approximately 88% of people between the ages of 18 and 65 use a form of social media every day. Now, how that ties into the fitness industry, the first thing that jumps in my head is, is FITSPO. So we now know there's very good research that when somebody is following FITSPO accounts or the FITSPO hashtag, um, that they're going to have uh, lower levels of self-compassion after. And self-compassion and self-compassionate talk being one of the, the, the great, the most well, one of the most well-known catalysts of change. So it's ironic that you're looking for something probably, you know, fitspirational and yet you leave feeling more discouraged. Um, when it comes to social media, I do recommend if, if you're not willing to let go of those Fitspo accounts yet, at least at the very least for every Fitspo account you have, um, you know, we'll use Instagram as an example, because that's how we connected on Instagram, um, follow a body positive account. Studies have shown that that kind of negates the the negative effects, and um, and then you know watch your social media time in general. Try and decrease it as much as possible, and focus on on relationships. You know, social media can be used to an advantage. Like we connected yeah, connected with lots of great people over Instagram, especially during COVID, and it's been great because I've used it strategically. Right, I've used it to say, hey, here's what I do. I'm promoting my message. Where's my tribe? right? Where are my people? And make authentic connections through it, because that is one of its best features. And unfortunately, one of its worst features is perpetuating a lot of um, uh, misinformation. Just yeah. Like and that's kind of a, a conversation with the client earlier today about just like going through the ideas of what it really, really like the bare minimum when it comes to trying to lose weight versus her ideology of what should happen, or maybe some of her family and friends, the ideas that they have on how you lose weight of, you know, oh, you shouldn't eat carbs because that makes you fat. Well, fat is fat. So that makes you fat like that kind of, so just the amount of misinformation. Um, it's kind of funny how like people like researchers have to submit their research to their peers for review. Like, Hey guys, I'm putting myself out there. Here's my research. I spent so much time and money and effort and a group of people did this now here it is then all of a sudden you get torn to shreds because it's complete nonsense but in social media when it comes to certain subjects many people don't have to do that you could just say whatever you want it, freedom of speech great but there's a caveat that comes along with that too yeah, and a lot of 
lot of confirmation bias, right? You're going to seek out what you currently believe in, right? No one naturally, just as against a psychological, no one naturally goes around saying, you know, prove me wrong or, or things yeah. like that. I mean, unless you're a scientist, because we get torn apart, like professionally, just like, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I get, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I think it's, uh, when it comes to the, you just touching on social media to open up those relationships. I've met people like you and Scott Forbes and Jose Antonio, and then uh, someone that's become uh, you know, a, a friend as well. And uh, there are a few of them, I should say. And to, to use it to our advantage like this, like I've never, probably even just 20 years ago, I never would have even reached out to you because of the stigma. Well, I'm not going to reach out to her because of the the people's perception of me reaching out to a, a counselor. Well, you're a strength coach. What's wrong with you? You know, yeah. or reaching out to even other uh, facets of training. So whether like gymnasts or whatever the case might, or yoga instructors, that kind of stuff. Yes, 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 yes. I, I do find that um, there is still a little bit of stigma around. Well, I mean, in, in my department, there's still a lot of stigma around counseling. Like, let's just face it. It is what it is. But what I love about counseling is one of the best things that I like to get out about counseling is everyone can use it, right? Like everyone is going to leave even just one counseling session with more tools to implement that's going to help enhance what they're currently using. You know, a big difference between what they, uh, counseling, I guess I get asked about that a lot, like counseling versus coaching, like what's the difference here? In, in coaching, there is a lot more of focus just on behavior change. Right, like your your trans theoretical model behavior change and what strategies can we implement and a lot of action talk. That's why you guys are, are out on the floor. And in counseling, we talk much more about the thoughts and the and thoughts and emotions that are driving those behaviors or the impact of unhelpful behaviors on thoughts and emotions. So I look at that trifecta and I talk about it a lot, even on my social media, the big three. And that that's that's the bigger difference. So I think it helps to, to conceptualize that for people and go like, oh, okay, like I've been focusing on my behaviors. That's going awesome. I think I want to learn a little bit more about how I can um, enhance, you know, my my the way I think or my emotional regulation to, you know, build on what I'm currently doing with with my coach, right? So that's, that's a little primer in, in the difference between coaching and counseling. Oh, that's awesome. And kind of like digging, I guess, pretty deep into there. Like I deal with many young female athletes. Um, I've had hundreds from volleyball players, hockey players, and currently I'm working with um, uh, Dance Evolution, an amazing uh, dance studio here in town um, from 10-year-olds 10 10 to 18-year-olds. So obviously in a very uh, image-dominated um art like dance um, there's becomes a lot of eating disorder uh issues that come up as well just with the amount of energy those young girls need just to get through their day with the amount of hours they spend doing what they're doing um just almost like for my own sort of my, <laughs> my own brain um how do you feel we can really i can approach better approach those conversations with them or their parents when it comes to uh better eating Better eating, I mean, focusing on nutrition nutrition as a science is, is kind of the, the baseline, right? Because these, I, when I think of athletes, I think of them in three different categories. So this might help frame things a little bit better. So I think of student athletes, which is, you know, who, who you're discussing, that, that adolescent group or even younger could be child, right? Um, and then you have more like collegiate athletes, 
more of that semi-professional professional like it's more of a more of a job right and then you have a recreational athletes and that's anybody i consider who is is not playing for money or for scholarship or things like that and so that's how i designate in my mind three different groups when we're talking about the student athlete it's important to remember that what they're doing is fine like mental health has to come first everything that they're doing to fool their bodies to move their bodies is supposed to be out of enjoyment teamwork leadership personal growth personal development and um and to be focused nothing is worth sacrificing your mental health over first and foremost. Uh, when it comes to the nutrition component, it, it's all about, like you alluded to, energy, right? How much energy do you have? Are you leaving your workouts uh, feeling feeling better than when you first came in, feeling like you have more joy? Um, are you eating and after eating, you have more energy to get through? Um, when it comes to talking to parents as well, is making sure that their relationship with food as much as possible is uh, is based in in nutritional sciences, right? So we we need the three macronutrients. We need those. We need to get enough calories. Calories are good. We like them. They give us energy, and uh, making sure that a lot of their paradigms are more focused, at least in the health ideal, than the appearance ideal, right? And that's what I alluded to earlier as well. You know, are you eating well most of the time? Are you training, not overtraining, just training within a good, healthy scope of practice? Um, if you do those things, then that takes the attention off of body image and onto lifelong healthy habits, essentially. And, uh, and then another thing too, to touch base on moving away from appearance ideal more into health ideal is um, not complimenting things that are body shape or food related, making sure that, the, that any compliment or encouragement is often in characteristics, right? Okay. So that's a huge one. So an example would be, you know, e even performance can be a little touchy, um, but you know, if somebody had a, had a good practice, hey, great leadership skills out there, right? Uh that's that's a huge impact compared to, you know, good, good play, right? Like people right. Have, have, your plays are going to change day by day, right? Well, like, pretty, I mean, and it's so broad spectrum and it's so just an easy thing to say. It's kind of like some asking somebody, how was your day? And they say, good. <laughs> you know, I just kind of working with, I find that elite level athletes as well. Um, it's very much. So how, how do you feel? I feel good. Meantime, they're absolutely torn to shreds, you know, yeah. oh, so it's yeah. kind of like the idea of, of admitting that it's okay to not be okay as well. Yeah, yeah. And having that that open communication, asking, practicing your open ended questions, right? Like, that's a big one. Go back to those basic, you know, ors, those motivational interviewing skills and 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 revisit them and, and have discussions and um, and encourage discussions um, within the team as well. Um, I know I, I kind of just automatically refer to everybody as a team, even though it might be individual, um, but you're all practicing together. You're all on the same, in the same dance studio, things like that. Having those open discussions, um, having team camaraderie outside of, of practices too, and opening up the conversation. Um, you know, when we're talking about adolescents and children as well, one of my big focuses in family is, you know, make sure, you know, you don't need to follow food rules, but a, a good loose rule is to make sure you're having dinner at the table, you know, and have those discussions and set some time aside because that's when the magic happens, right? When you set the stage and 
have those open-ended questions and open conversations, you're going to build trust. You're going to build rapport with your kids, your students, your athletes, and uh, and that's going to go a really long way. Well, that's awesome. Uh, great way to put it. I'm pretty excited to, to share this this one with them. Um, so I'm kind of digging a little bit deeper into that too. It's pretty awesome. So when it comes like in the context of weight loss, uh, obviously um, we, we know that, you know, eating in a calorie deficit is important. Getting enough protein is important. Like the, the hard kind of things that work well that we know, but what are more some of the softer skills, I guess might be a better way to put it. Like some of the habits that people might be able to implement, like the lowest hanging fruit for, for many that you found in your practice to, that people can take advantage of. Yeah, you know, immediately what jumps into my mind is like the National Weight Control Registry, right? So if you're not familiar with the National Weight Control Registry, it's a large scale study done based on people who I think they lost an average of about 66 pounds and were able to keep it off for over a year. So it's one of the more um, well executed studies when it comes to studying, um, uh, you know, large scale demographics and just the behaviors that had to happen with a significant amount of weight loss. And ultimately they came down to a slight caloric deficit. Like no one lost any weight by cutting out a food group, put it that way. Everyone was still eating all of their macronutrients. They were in a slight caloric deficit. Um, typically um, they, they did enjoyable activities. They did moderate amounts of exercise for a long period of time, like a daily, I mean, I'm sorry, frequency, but when I mean long time, I mean uh, over the course of one year. Um, you know, other soft skills like that I use in my practice are say, for example, like reframing, right? So in order to move away from that all or nothing thinking, which generally perpetuates that cycle of yo-yo dieting and unhealthy habits in general is um, uh, reframing most of the time, right? So if, and this is how you would use it. You would say, you know, instead of saying, oh, I'm, I'm doing this diet, I'm going to eat this way, da, 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 da. You say, you know, I'm a person who eats healthy most of the time right? That gives yourself a bit of grace. If you want to have something that's, yeah, frankly, less nourishing. <laughs> it's okay because you're a person who eats healthy most of the time. I'm a person who works out most days. Cool. Now, if you miss a day, you're not beating yourself up about it, right? And then it also brings you up to that standard. If you do fall below a few days in a row, no, 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 I'm a person who works out most days. So I got to get, I got to kick it up a notch here, right? So just that simple reframing. Um, other things are using like the hunger scale, right? So honoring your hunger and your fullness. Um, you know, no one sits around saying like, oh my God, I only peed three times yesterday and I peed seven today. Something's must, something must be wrong with me. Your hunger changes day to day as well, right? It's a physiological cue from the body. So if you can learn to honor your hunger and say, oh, like that, that's kind of curious, like I'm a little hungrier today. All right, I'm going to eat more. And, uh, you know, that is, that's a skill that, that takes a little bit more time to practice getting in tune with your hunger cues. And I find that the more diet somebody has been on or for the longer amount of time, the more difficult it is to, to trust their body. So that's one of the things that I do in my practice is, is, um, give them the, the, the skills and the space to say, okay, we're going to practice. We're going to practice this week. Let's do it again. And uh, until they're very confident using it. That's awesome. Those would be some softer skills that I would recommend. I think I kind of how I try to frame it for for most people is um, you you don't have the skill set to have to attain the goals that you have yet. That's a bigger part of kind of the process. Mm -hmm. So to be a lot more patient with yourself during that process, it's kind of like teaching someone to play hockey. Well, I'm not going to expect them to go up and down the ice and have like perfect passing in stride, 
or hit like a one-timer if they can't even skate. So if someone has a hard time just even remotely coming close to, let's say, approaching goal, we have to work on those basic fundamental skills that we know we can build a lot of success from before we get into anything else. I'm a firm believer in trial and error, right? And I think that, that that's one of the, the best things that came from sports and from being an athlete was you were going to mess up so many <laughs> times before, before you get it right. And I think that if, if we as coaches, you know, kind of honor, honor that about ourselves and say, you know, let's move away from that all or nothing. And let's, let's be transparent with our clients and tell them how many times we had to screw up, how many times we had to learn how to do something, how many times we were corrected and had feedback and things like that, and then implement that with our clients and, and something as simple as like, yeah, there's going to be times when you overeat. It's fine. It's fine. Next time, next meal, we're going to practice again, right? Yeah. Um, and, and by as long as, as long as our clients are focused, especially our, our weight loss clients, they're focused on the long term. That's the most important thing, playing for the long game. Are you going to be 65? Are you going to be 80 years old and wanting to go on another fat diet? I hope freaking not, right? I hope the skills that we can teach them this year when they're working with us, they can carry on into their senior years um, and, and pass on to their kids too, so. Uh, I think it's pretty powerful too to just develop the skill set that might affect more people as they go who knows for, for how long when it comes to eating habits. And I think we maybe as parents, we sometimes forget the kind of the impact that we're gonna have with the, the food choices that we're gonna make or the food choices we make for our kids for their long-term health as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you know, I, I, posted, I posted this the other day that like dieting is not a normal part of life, right? And I find that at least in, in my practice, oftentimes what I hear is, is a lot of like romanticizing the next diet. Right. And, and so that kind of gives them a pass on less healthy eating by saying, oh, I'm just going to, you know, start my diet next month or things like that. It's like, no, that's not normal. Eat, eat well most of the time and you won't need that next diet. Right. And as, as parents, we, we owe it to our kids to, to be, be a role model in that area for sure. I think and it's funny too, like when, when I start to work with, with newer clients and they say, okay, well, what can I eat? And I say, just everything yeah. let's just let's start there and they're like i don't understand yeah <laughs> so, what are you what am i even doing with you right now but just to for i feel and we'll kind of touch on that i think in a little bit but just the, the relationship with food i think is a very very powerful thing and anytime we restrict anything it's always you know the grass is always greener or that forbidden fruit kind of thing so how do you what do you feel might be a great strategy for someone to work on when it comes to just improving the relationship with food? One of the things, yeah, with improving the relationship with food, I mean, go back to Canada's food guide, go back, go back to basics and like, look at what is recommended to eat. Because oftentimes if you are saying to yourself, I don't know what to eat anymore, that's a red flag, right? That is, that is a relationship with food issue. And you need to be either reaching out to somebody or starting to do your own research when it comes to the straight, like get on board with the straight backs first, right? So going back to something like Candace Food Guide and is half my plate fruits and vegetables, am I getting enough? Am, am I eating grains? Am I, do I know my different sources of protein, right? Those resources are free. They're free. Go to the government website, check them out. So it's free. I would say start following that recommendation as much as possible. 
And then when it comes to healing a relationship with food, you have to ask yourself, where, where is this coming from? Right. Is this coming from frequent dieting? Is this coming from an emotional need? Is this coming from distorted thoughts? Do I have these thoughts perpetuated in my mind? And depending on the degree, depending on the intensity of your relationship with food, like negative relationship with food in this case, um, and the frequency, you know, sometimes people experience, oh, I have a great relationship all, like all week, all week I'm good. And then on the weekend or whatever, you look at the frequency, look at the intensity. If they're not matching up, you definitely should be reaching out to somebody. Um, you know, if it's not myself, a, a, a registered dietitian, um, you know, even, even your doctor may be able to refer you out to somebody else, but definitely click those resources. We're out here. Well, I think, and it's, I think that's such a valuable point for people to get across that. Um, if there is that relationship with food, I find like the weekend warrior sort of mentality where people keep, they, they've come to me many, many times to say, well, I eat great all week and I just kind of overeat on the weekends. And then when we go through like tracking methods and you see just like, I don't want you to change anything. I just want you to track what you eat and that's it. No, no harm, no foul. Let's just see exactly what's up. And then you try to show them that how much that they can really overeat, like almost like that pileup effect of not eating much throughout the week and then waiting for the weekend to come to think that the all, all bets are off. And, and it sneaks up on it sneaks up on us, and that's part of the uh, feeling loss of control, right? Or and, and then on the other end of things is glamorizing this almost false sense of control. You know, for those of us who like meal prep through the week, and it's like, really, do you do you actually? You know, this is this is to challenge a lot of thoughts out there, but do you really need the exact same amount of food every single day of the week? Does that make sense? Right? you know, you're, 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 you're going to fluctuate one day to the next. So if you're doing that Monday through Friday, and you think that that's a sense of control, that's actually not a sense of control because you're not even listening to your body. Right. And that's why you go ham on the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> so if you can find that delicate balance and most coaches will be able to, I, I have very good confidence that most coaches will be able to do that, which is like, let's look, let's have an honest, honest look at this. Okay. This is how many calories you got on the weekend. Let's find some balance in here, right? How can we do that? What does that look like? Does that look like you're meal prepping your breakfast and your lunch and you're eating a casual dinner, honoring your hunger cues then? Just watch how those weekends start to, oh yeah, you have a little bit more give or take relationship around food, which is much more healthy for the long-term. Um, you know, again, going back to if one of like, if you heard a, a senior saying like, oh, I meal prep all week, but I go ham on the weekends. <laughs> you'd be like you do really, what? Grandma? <laughs> why, why is me doing it <laughs> awesome. right uh, so now kind of getting into people's idea of success i think when it comes to dieting so um obviously the scale is uh, the go-to for for many many people i think there's a lot of value in there for for some people but mm -hmm. again i think it's the importance of tools right mm -hmm. i like my hammer. I'm not going to go around using my hammer all the time for everything. And I'm not going to go around talking about my hammer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I think to maybe like a multifaceted approach. Um, so what's, I guess the best, best, best way to ask is your idea between like a singular approach versus like a multifaceted approach when it comes to quote unquote successful uh, weight loss. 
Yeah, definitely, definitely multifaceted. I mean, there's no one set way that's going to work for for everyone. Um, we're still talking in the context of weight loss, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. In the context of weight loss, you know, you want to look at a lot of different things. Um, uh, other, like this is just some different ideas coming from a counseling perspective. Um, you could, you know, looking at your mood, right? You might want to take inventory of something as simple as um, your interpersonal relationships, right? If you find that your mood is improving or you're less moody over a certain amount of time, that's a really good indicator that you're on the right path. Um, oftentimes what we see in disordered eating is that your mood is greatly affected by what you ate or what you did, right? If you miss a workout, oh, everyone's going to pay today. <laughs> right. And, and that's, that's not great. That's not great. That's, that's a clear indicator. It's impairing your functionality, which I said earlier, right? That's another type of red flag. So things like indicating your, your mood, um, your, your sleep, recording your sleep is, is hugely important, not just on the quantity, like the number of hours you're getting, but on the quality. How often am I waking up feeling refreshed, positive, alert? Well rested, things like that. Um, other areas of your life that you can use as measurements um, could be um, less time thinking or worrying about food. Um, another one could be your, again, your emotional regulation too, right? Are you able to articulate clearly when you are feeling upset? And if you are feeling upset, can you label it and can you have a healthy coping mechanism after? Food's an okay coping mechanism. It just can't be your only one. So, you know, that's coming from the thought and the emotion rather than just the behavioral component of, am I tracking? Am I working out every day? Am I, um, you know, am, am I ultimately for weight loss? Am I in a caloric deficit is what needs to happen for weight loss at the end of the day. So those are just some outside measurements that, you know, I would use. And especially as a coach, um, that's also another thing that you can be um, a non-appearance related compliment that you could be working on with your clients. Hey, I noticed you've been in a great mood the past two weeks, all of our sessions, you're coming in with great energy, right? That's, oh yeah, actually I have been, you know, this is, this is going well for me. So, you know, just some other tools in the toolbox for the coaches out there. No, that's awesome. I think it's things that we don't really think of enough. I mean, of course, other measure, we can call them measuring or just other tools, I guess we could use um, things like, uh, you know, does this dress fit or um, inches like pictures? I love, and I don't care if anyone says them to me. I, I, that's, that's kind of irrelevant to me. I think it's more so the idea of kind of when we're having maybe those moments those imperfect moments, we can go back and kind of see how far that we've, we've come, uh, whether we send those pictures to a coach or not, that I feel that's irrelevant. Those are, I feel kind of a, a personal aspect of, of our own journey. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, on, on the opposite end of things too, I, I just want to flip it and take this opportunity for coaches to, to notice, um, you know, notice the good and then, you know, obviously take inventory of, of any sort of um, habits, because a lot of the times with tracking, sometimes people can become almost obsessed with it and, and frankly worried about it, right? You, I'm sure we've all had a client who didn't see results in week one and they're like, this is- Why am I doing this? <laughs> right? Yes, it happens. Um, so, you know, definitely putting things into context of, of how do you tell when something is you want to look at CPR, so your content pattern relationship. So say your client comes in in a really shitty mood one day. I don't know, like I'm going with the mood thing. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, hey, like what's up? What's going on? Right? Like I, I noticed this, you know, you, you definitely need to build some rapport before having these conversations, of course, but assuming you do have good rapport with your clients, 
um, hey, I noticed you're really upset about like not seeing much change in your progress. Like, what's up with that, right? Have a conversation once and gather the information. A pattern would be if it's happening more than once. Okay, so you know, I notice you. I notice the intensity of your emotions this is really affecting you. Like, let, let's talk about this. What's up? Because that might be an indicator for you if their mood is being greatly affected by their nutrition program or something else going on. Maybe you're not aware of what it is right now. Um, that's an opportunity for you to have an important discussion. Maybe they need, maybe they're overtraining, maybe they're overdoing something, maybe they're binging late at night, not telling you there's, there's something up there. If you let it go unaddressed or it continues on one or the other, it can form a relationship problem. And that's when you start to see clients have resentment for their coaches, right? They're going to start placing blame elsewhere. And then it becomes, okay, well, whose responsibility is it? I believe that as the coach, you know, I want to give you guys the tools to say like, Hey, here's how to have those important conversations so that you can prevent it from getting to a relationship problem. And then the same goes for positive behaviors, right? That's why we praise the good characteristics happening. Great. This is a great content. You're coming in in a great mood. Great. This, you know, I'm seeing now that your mood has been improving over the past three weeks, right? Not appearance related. And then it becomes a relationship. Now they're having a healthier relationship with food and exercise, right? So it can go both ways, but that's a way for, that's a tool for coaches to, to use. No, I think it's a definitely a great one for sure. Now, something that comes up every single day with in my uh, in, in my coaching business is the idea of weight fluctuations, <laughs> right? And like, if we are, because I I feel again, I feel like to to kind of break the stigma of the scale, I think we need to just kind of be at peace with what it says. We don't have to share that information with anyone, but I think the um, as long as it stays within a healthy relationship of what we feel that scale says, but then the weight fluctuations come. And I, I can say off my first consultation with someone, every single time, I promise you, your weight will fluctuate. It's, it'll be weird if it doesn't. In 23 years, I've never once seen it not fluctuate. So, but I could say that time blue in the face, spend the whole hour just on weight fluctuations. And then the weight fluctuation comes and they go, holy shit. I did everything perfect. What the hell? Yeah, so this is this is why that multifaceted approach really helps because you're able to go, wait, data, 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 data. These are all the other things that are going super awesome. If you find that your client gets really worked up about the numbers on the scale, that might, so the CPR, right? If it's once, you're like, okay, I'm going to continue to wait, but your weight's going to fluctuate again, just so you know, eventually, right? If you notice that intensity continues or you have a frequency and that drifts into a pattern, um, that would be a conversation to have about finding solutions and say, okay, you know what? I'm not even gonna let you know about the scale if you wanna continuing them or we're not gonna use that measurement anymore, right? Um, because you're, you know, you're having a, a, a reaction to it. It takes, um, it takes, with acceptance comes a lot of uh, awareness, right? So to be, to be self-aware comes from two different aspects. It comes from an external and it comes from an internal. Right. So as a coach, it's important to, to be able to learn how to gauge. OK, I give you all the external information. This is education. This is straight up. Typically, if there's a huge response, it's coming from something internal. So, again, you're opening up the conversation. So the self-awareness is, is first and foremost. And a lot of clients already have that. They might be coming into you and saying, oh, I don't do well with the scale. If they're saying that, listen, don't show them the scale. 
right? Um, so a lot of clients already have that self-awareness coming in, but it can help to develop. And then the next thing is the self-acceptance, right? And, and the acceptance comes with, oh, a very curious approach. So try and nurture that relationship with the client to say, oh, this is very curious, right? Like uh, develop an interest in data if possible, if that client is interested in it um, and take a non-judgmental approach with self and with others. So, um, so that would be very, very an important conversation to have with your clients about, um, about acceptance. And I think it's so important for, to have that difference in approach. So maybe there's pictures, maybe there's measurements, maybe it's just uh, questionnaires, that kind of stuff, uh, to, to kind of show them that with those weight fluctuations, uh, there's going to be those, those other wins that you're going to show. Um, and sometimes to have that extra data to show them that, you know, every, every day after a refeed, well, guess what's going to happen? Like you're going to go up and I can explain that as scientifically as I can, but it still comes back to, oh shit, the scale went up, you know? So I think it's to, for, to normalize those fluctuations. And I just, I think it's crazy that it's just not talked about barely at all when it comes to the industry, because it's not that straight shot down. Yes. Fluctuations, okay, so if anybody's listening, fluctuations happen, <laughs> okay? They happen for a lot of different reasons. Your hormones, your sleep, glycogen storage, there's tons of different things biochemically going on in the body. It's going to happen, right? So yeah. let's let's normalize that. That is part of the, the external process. Um, on an internal thing, if you're affected by it, that, that do some digging, do some yeah. digging, because it's a fact. <laughs> but I think, I mean, how do you think that uh, social media really has affected the idea of us being able to present things like fluctuations, almost like, um, because it seems to be like that success of weight loss. Well, I gained two pounds yesterday, Troy. What the hell? Yeah. That's not successful weight loss. I gained weight. Yes, 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 yes. So, you know, immediately I jumped to um, the pressure for coaches to have those before and after pictures that like rapid fire this and that I think in my opinion, before and after pictures can be pretty dangerous. They can be. I think that they can be triggering for, for a lot of different people. And I think that sometimes they don't paint the full picture, right? And it's important as a coach when we sit down with our clients for the first time and we say, you know, what does a win look like for you? And when they say weight loss, if they say weight loss, okay, what else is going to improve in your life when you lose weight? Right. You know, sometimes you'll hear I have more energy to play with my kids or more confidence, or I'll be able to whatever, focusing on those wins, right? When you're in session and, and if you see a fluctuation in weight and it's like, um, you know, how long were you outside playing with the kids yesterday? Well, yeah, six months ago, you were having struggles doing that, going up and down the stairs, things like that. You know, I, I wish more of social media presented those ideas as before and afters. And um, yeah, that's, that's, that's a harsh reality. Yeah, and I think it's kind of our own, like, how much it's been blown up seeing things like uh i'm not going to name any names of magazines because i don't want to get sued to to have in here but not today not today it's friday you know <laughs> so like the the ideas of those we'll call them grocery store magazines with certain individuals that are typically on the front of it um i'm not going to name any names but uh i in anyway yeah not a big fan because again it just starts driving the idea of speed of weight loss, not the idea of maintaining that weight loss because main, 
maintaining something isn't super sexy, like losing 80 pounds in, you know, 14 weeks. Yeah. Yeah. So it's terrible. It fits into this profession. I'm going to go off on a social tangent right now. (laughs) You guys ready for a tangent? So this fits in with the appearance ideal. And I actually, I just did a, a seminar on the effects of social media on body image. And so, you know, you and I work with, with people one-on-one, but again, to granted, that's not a micro level. We also have our mezzo and our macro levels of, of what goes on and then how we're affected. And ultimately all forms of media are constructed and media is selling us something at the end of the day. So if you look at a, uh, a headline or an image in say a magazine, they are profiting off of insecurities right then and there. So you're in the grocery store, you see that magazine and it plays a little game in your head, right? And now what happens is that when that person makes a purchase, you are investing in it and then everything inside the magazine, that's where the revenue goes up. So the more catchy the headline or you know, on social media, like clickbait, the more catchy the visual, they do it in two different ways. It's either image and you have to ask, what are they actually selling you, right? Are they selling you... Um, are they selling you a product itself? Sometimes you actually see a product or are they selling you an idea? Is it a concept? Are they selling you success? Are they selling you confidence? Are they selling you a, a feeling? And the other thing, is, other than the images is the headline itself. Something just like, whoa, what, what I need to know about that. Right? So again, going off that profit off of our insecurities and then that perpetuates it. Now, what happens is that when an individual invests in this idea, they're, they're purchasing, they're buying into the, the appearance ideal, okay? So with the appearance ideal comes um, self-objectification, right? So how do I measure up to what that image is showing me, right? After self-objectification, you comes, um, you know, feelings of inadequacy and body shame after. When we have more body shame, oh shit, I don't measure up to that. I didn't even know that that was a thing that I now I don't measure up to. I feel body shame. So you're going to invest in a way, whether it's your time, your energy, your thoughts, financial, whatever it is, in a way to help help you feel better, which is basically to conform. Now, what happens is that when we make an investment and we are invested in this thought, which is the appearance ideal, we're going to objectify others around us. Right. So now we come, we we become critics of the others around us. And I'm sure maybe you've heard that out on the floor. Like somebody goes, oh, they've been working with that trainer for so long. Like, why have they lost weight? How do you know they want to lose weight? What makes you think they want to lose weight? Right. Because you want to lose weight. You think they want to lose weight. That's, and then, so then that's how it makes, that's how it makes it a cycle. So if we can break the cycle by saying, no, I'm only focusing, I'm, I'm, I'm applauding myself for my healthy habits, whatever body I have after gain confidence in your own body not buy into as much of the appearance ideal as possible, it will help perpetuate the cycle of, of the healthy ideal, move away from that um, that socialized, uh, we should look a certain way and be a certain way ideals. So that was, my, that was my rant. That's awesome. <laughs> no, we had like, years and years ago, a conference call with a bunch of different strength coaches and somebody brought up, hey, well, so-and-so uh, doesn't look like a strength coach. Yeah. Meantime, very elite level power lifter. I'm a heavyweight. So let's just say they're not, some of them are not super shredded. So, no. so then we kind of got into, okay, so what's your, I, what does a trainer, what should they look like? I dealt with a lot of hockey players and football players. So I gravitate towards that kind of training. So that was kind of how my performance was based or what my body sort of looked like was more to that scale. And then we said, so you deal with bodybuilders. So 
what does your clientele want to look like? And he was like, well, everyone wants to lose weight. I was like, does everyone want to lose weight? So I think it's just a real, and that was 20 years ago. So now with social media, I think it's such a pronounced effect where we have either crazy things on social media, like crazy feats of strength or speed or just crazy feats and then crazy weight loss with, we kind of touched on the beginning, you know, perfect lighting, perfect posture, everything like that. I think it's so difficult for so many people to kind of scroll through their social to find something to connect with because everything seems so extreme. Yeah, yeah. And then it's, it's normalized. We think that those extremes are what, what's normal. And, uh, you know, it's interesting to the statistic that came out. Um, well, it, it didn't really come out. It's not anything really new, but you know, we've seen the rates of eating disorders double from 2000 and 2000 to 2006 in 2013 to 2018, they doubled. And it's really interesting that like, where, where was the gap in there? Like Instagram came out, what, 2010, right? Stop and that's like a very that. image focused thing. And we know that increased social media usage time will decrease body satisfaction and decrease body satisfaction is one of the two key variables that with an intentional diet change can lead to eating disorders, right? So it is an integral part. It's something we need to think critically about and um, and unfollow things that don't fuel our best interest for sure. Awesome. For sure. I think great advice, especially for everyone, but I think especially for uh, younger, like teens and younger adults to really be focused on that because it just seems like an impossible world when it comes to, if we're looking through the eyes of social media, like so many of like the Fitspo chicks who do two photo shoots a year get a thousand pictures and but that's all they post. Yeah. So almost like that picture of perfection all year round when if you knock on their door at their house, I don't recommend anyone do that, but <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna see like that's not what someone looks like all year, all year round. Yeah, truly, truly. And then we could even go deeper into gender stereotypes and and you know, lack of representation of certain groups of people and things like that. It's just, it's not, uh, you know, use social media to find your tribe that brings you joy, that cultivates uh, compassion. Um, and as coaches too, it's important that we take inventory of what we put on our own social media as well. And that we aren't fabricating our lives either, right? We have to take inventory of that because our clients follow us and, you know, we have to be a role model for that, be transparent. For sure, for sure. And that's kind of where, where me admitting my, my, my closet eating was a big thing. I felt like a big weight lifted off my shoulders. And I've done it probably 90% less since. So just because I'm like, I just, I don't want to hide this anymore. Like, I feel like I'm really doing something wrong. It's not this, there's something going on that's making me do that. It was just more to accept that um, in my, my case, just to accept that it's, just food, you know, and to not think, oh my God, this is, I can't let anyone show, I can't show anybody what I'm doing, but to just accept it's just food. And sometimes I'm going to have a fucking donut. Yeah. <laughs> I, I completely feel you on that. I used to feel those pressures myself as well. Now I take a very transparent approach. I, I, I saw, I, you know, I used to do things like what I eat a day. And, you know, you, you learn, you assimilate new information and you grow from it. That's the most important thing too open-minded as a coach and go like, oh, here's new information that's been presented to me. I'm no longer going to just like 
just like we tell our clients, hey, this is a behavior that needs changing, right? When you hear something that needs changing, you got to take that feedback and go, oh, shit, <laughs> I'm going to grow from this, right? So let's all grow. <laughs> awesome, awesome. So what are some of the stuff that you're working on right now? Oh, I got a lot on the go. You're going to see me at CanFit this year and oh. presenting. So that's exciting. Um, and, you know, with, with COVID, obviously, I had to pivot my business. Um, and so I've been virtual all year. Um, I'm still taking one-on-one -on -one clients. However, I just launched a 12-week group program. So nice. one of the, again, according, according to my research, like I said, I'm going to put my glasses <laughs> up, of course, um, is that, you know, we're all kind of craving this. Um, connection with others and with so many people you know we've seen the rise of binge eating this year we've seen the rise of stress eating um you know we, we're hearing it's being kind of shoved down our throats the covid weight things like that you chances are you may not even need to lose weight if it's a few pounds you're okay <laughs> um just to clarify that uh but we're craving that social connection so i'm starting a 12-week group program all goals are welcome. It does not matter, but we won't be really talking about weight loss. This is all relationship with food. What are your thoughts, your emotions, your behaviors? And um, yeah, that starts June 1st. And then my next round will be starting first week of September. So awesome. Me for that. <laughs> Good stuff. <laughs> so where can people find you um, on social or anywhere? Yeah, so social, I'm really active on my Instagram, Fit Nutrition Canada. That's the name of my business. You can also go to my website. You can register through there. I do free 15-minute phone calls too. So if anybody just has like even a quick question, like I'm, I'm all ears. And if I don't know something, I will gladly refer you out. Um, and then to, if you are interested in working with me, um, I'm covered as a nutritional counselor. So it's the same way psych, uh, psychologists and social work are. So if you have insurance, use it up, definitely. Uh, my group, my group programs uh, are eligible as well for insurance. So awesome. Super, yeah. super stuff. I really appreciate the time, Bridget. I think a lot of people are going to get a lot more, uh, just a different um, view on things instead of just like down the science road, which I mean, I think is important, but kind of how we talked in the beginning, where I think that habits are what really fuels our success. Like you know, um, the navigation system of that science gives us for those in the context of weight loss or performance. But really, the habits are what really are going to fuel our, our, our progress. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. we got to play for the long game. That's what Absolutely. we're here to do. Perfect. Awesome. So thanks again, Bridget. And I'm sure, we'll, uh, I'm sure we're going to do this again in the near future. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. If anybody has any questions, don't hesitate to reach out. Awesome. Thanks again. Cheers. Bye-bye.